0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Hallelujah! Welcome to 2021. It's good to be seen in the new year, because God is good all the time. Yes, so how was your New Year's Day? Was it Good. Yes, praise the Lord. And yes, it was good, good for me as well. And I have to admit, I got to watch football. <laughs> and I love football. Uh, so anyway, um, I just wanted to mention that we're going to get started in the book of Acts tonight, uh, where we left off in Acts chapter 9. And the last story that we shared, for those who are new, was <laughs> the radical story Of the conversion of the Apostle Paul. His name at the time was Saul. So tonight's message, we're going to continue on because we we talked about in Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 9, this would have been the end of November, that on the road to Damascus, on his way to destroy the church uh, and and to bring devastation to the church, (laughs) Saul of Tarsus was arrested by Almighty God himself, and the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven revealed that he was alive. Now, we're going to get into tonight what happened when Saul actually arrived in Damascus. He was struck blind by this divine revelation, and and it's Jesus, the one he doesn't believe in, who is not only alive and risen, but is at the right hand of the Father, and he speaks and says, I know your name, Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Why are you persecuting me? Now, Jesus is alive. He's risen. He's in heaven. Uh, So Saul is actually persecuting the church. But notice Jesus takes it very personally. If you touch one of my children down there, you have touched me and my throne in heaven. He takes it very personally. He is a very good shepherd. So let's bow our heads and pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening and pray that as we pick up again the story of the early church in the midst of great and severe persecution, we pray that we might hear what the Spirit is saying to us tonight. Lord, as we begin uh, here tonight, January 2nd, Tomorrow, the third, the very first weekend of the brand new year, 2021, we welcome the ministry of your Holy Spirit here tonight. Lord, we need you. We we are hungry for your word to speak to our hearts and strengthen our faith and to encourage us in our most holy faith. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless all who are here as we come to the close of this service, entering into communion with you, remembering the sacrifice and the debt that you paid to set us free, to wash away our sins, to give us the gift of eternal life, to write our name in the Lamb's book of life, and to fill us with this Holy Spirit, the glorious Spirit of the Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that it might speak to us tonight for this year and all that is to come and we give it all into your hands in Jesus mighty worthy and precious name and everyone said amen. Amen. So since it's been a month let's uh, go back to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to just read through uh, the first nine verses to tell the story of this radical salvation of Saul. It says and then Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way... Now, look up here for just a moment. So Christians were called different names in different times and different seasons. And one of the original uh, descriptions of followers of Jesus is they're followers of the way. Now that's what the world gave to them. Where did they get that? Because Jesus had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus had given a very narrow focus, I am the way, no man can come to the Father unless he comes through me. And interesting, uh, you know, back in the Jesus People days, you know, we have the worship team that was up here, and we had John Wickham, he was in a band that was called The Way, back in the Jesus People's day. So that's where this whole concept comes from, uh, the early name of Christianity, followers of the way. And so Saul's going after them, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Capital M. And he said, So Saul doesn't know who it is. Who are you, Lord? (laughs) I love this. He's looking up into this brilliant Shekinah glory. There's someone in the midst who knows his name. And he goes, I don't know who you are, but I know you're the Lord. Who are you? You're Lord. (laughs) And this must have shocked Saul to his bones. And then the Lord said, I am. Yeshua, Jesus, whom you are persecuting, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so now Jesus reveals something supernatural that from heaven, watching over the earth, he knows about Saul. A a goad is a sharp pointed stick that farmers will use with their animals to get them, you know, big beasts of prey to go in a certain direction. So the Lord is saying, I've been using my heavenly goad. And and Saul has been, he was there holding the coats of those who had martyred, stoned to death. A young man named Stephen, who had preached, Jesus is the Messiah. And then they were filled with rage and Saul was there and he condoned the killing. He said, here, let me help your coats as you throw stones and kill that young man. So he would have been there to hear the message of Stephen and he would have seen his face, which the scriptures say began to shine like an angel. And the last thing that Stephen did was as he looked up, uh, he prayed, Father, forgive them of this sin, which is exactly what Jesus had done from the cross. And then he died. So Saul had that image in his mind and I believe that the Holy Spirit was using it to poke the conscience of Saul. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless. They heard a voice, but seeing no one. So it was a personal revelation of Jesus. All the others who were with him did not... See, it. they heard something, and it was like an earthquake or a thunder, but they didn't know exactly who it was. And then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. I love this. He has a supernatural vision, revelation of the risen, resurrected Jesus, And after that happens, he is struck blind for three days. And all the Lord says is, go into Damascus, you'll be told what to do there. So now we pick up the story in verse 10. And we'll read verses 10 through 14. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision. Now, I want you to pay attention to Ananias because I'm going to make an application to all of us. Uh, He's not a famous guy by any stretch of the imagination. In fact... After this particular story, we never hear anything more about him. We won't know anything more until we get to heaven. But he was a man of faith, a man of prayer, and a man who had visions from the Lord, an ordinary disciple. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And so the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in the vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. So God is giving a brand new believer, Saul of Tarsus, is having a vision of this man, Ananias. And now Jesus, on the other end, is telling Ananias, I'm giving you inside information about this man named Saul. So he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias said, Lord... I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. I love this because Ananias is filling the Lord in on what's going on down here on earth. <laughs> Have you ever done that? In prayer, you're like, so Lord, I don't know if you know this or not, but this is what's kind of going on down here. I think it's just kind of funny, but that it often happens. We're telling, but it's conversation. The Lord listens to him, and he says, Hey, that's the guy who's after people like me, who are followers and believers of you. So here, real quick, I want to just make this life application. Paul is struck blind, but he sees the light of Jesus. So into the dark chambers of Paul's mind, I call him Paul, but he's really Saul, and an explosion of light. So if he can't see anything physically, he's blind for three days. All he sees in his mind's eye is the vision he had of the resurrected Jesus. For how long? Three days. And we know, of course, the significance of that related to Jesus who was crucified. And on the third day, the disciples said he rose from the dead. And Saul had believed the Jewish leadership when they told him the story of the resurrection of this man, Jesus of Nazareth, was a fabrication, it was a lie told by his disciples. And Saul believed them. He said, well, then that must be true. They're spreading. He'd heard of the story of Jesus resurrecting, but he'd also been told by his leaders that it was a lie, it was a fabrication. They made it up. To make it look good or to come away with the story. And now, but Saul has just seen the very one they said was dead and did not rise from the dead. I mean, basically, you could say this. Everything in the social media of ancient Jerusalem said Jesus was dead. And the next thing you know, Saul sees the resurrected, glorified, risen Lord Jesus Christ. Oops. The media was wrong. Can you imagine how radically different what went on in Paul's, Saul's mind for three days and for three nights? His whole understanding of the scriptures was turned upside down. And now I can imagine, so Jesus is the Lord Jesus? Yeshua is the Messiah? And then he probably rehearsed in his mind... The sermon that he had heard from Stephen. Stephen had basically given the outline of the gospel. He said, hey, my fellow Jews, the prophets told us that when the Messiah finally arrives, we will reject him. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus. And the prophet said that he would die. And that's exactly what happened. But he died for us. And then the prophet said that he would rise from the dead. And guess what? He is alive and he is risen from the dead. And Saul had believed from the religious leaders that it was a fabrication. It was a lie. It was just something they had said. But now he had seen with his own eyes. And this teaches us something. I want you to go to the next life lesson. pauls I call him Paul here. Conversion teaches us the gospel of grace. Can you say, would you say the word grace with me? Grace. Oh, the power. Say it again. Grace. We, you and I, are saved by, say it, grace. And the gospel is a message of grace. Now, Paul needed, now that he's had this divine revelation of the resurrected Jesus, he's going to need a very special Jewish believer in Jesus the Messiah to now help disciple him. Ananias was an ordinary man. He's not an apostle. He's not a prophet. He's not a pastor. He's not an evangelist. He's not even an elder or a deacon. He is just some otherwise unknown believer in Jesus who lived in Damascus and yet God is using him as an instrument, and he says, now, so here's Paul. He, he's physically blind. He gets led to this guy by the vision, both of them being brought together by the Lord. And the next thing he knows, there is this stranger named Ananias who says, so you're Saul. So you saw Jesus, and you know he is alive. Yes, yes. And I've been blind for three days. And there was this man, Ananias, who says, now, Saul, don't be startled, but I'm going to lay my hands upon you. This man with whatever inhibitions or fears he might have had, he laid hands on him and he prayed for him. And as this believer lays hands on Paul and really, you know, in love, begins to verbalize and vocalize his prayer, Lord, touch him now, open his eyes, and boom, immediately, supernaturally, his sight is returned. He, is, he was struck blind, now his eyes are open. And he also receives the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. Now I want to say this, there are two things all disciples must learn. So by the way, so we talked about early Christianity, they were called the followers of the way. Here's another word that was used, especially in the book of Acts, to describe Christians. They were called disciples. Say the word disciple. Disciple. So, you know, disciple is an identity, but it's also a calling. To disciple means the discipline of actually being a lover, follower, believer, and one who listens and obeys the master and the master's voice. So there are two things all disciples must learn, including Saul. So, number one, they need to understand the difference between a transactional religion of good works and the gospel of grace. And I wanna I want to take a moment and say something to you. That there are there is something about religion that has nothing to do with the gospel or the gospel of grace. And there are many people that have been raised in a Christian environment. And I know there are people that are sitting here listening to me right now. You had a Christian upbringing. You had a religious upbringing. You went to church. You heard sermons. There were religious things that were done. But somehow, in some way, and it it grieves me to realize that this is true, there are many who got the idea... That to be a Christian means that it's all on you, that you have to be good or God cannot bless you, that you have to pray more. And if your life is not going well, the reason is you're not praying enough or you need to be the reason God can't be good to you is you need to be more spiritual than you are. Or that you're, you feel like you're a failure, you're broken and you're frustrated and they, you know, you've been told, well, you need to believe more and pray more and quote more scriptures and try harder. And if your life isn't going well, it's your fault. That is a transactional relationship with God. That is not the gospel. That is not biblical. That is not Christianity. Because there are people then that think, oh, so I got to do good and be good and be more spiritual so that God can finally accept me, know me, love me and bless me. And the reality is it's nothing about a relationship with your father in heaven. You're doing things in order to be protected or to do good or whatever. And that is not the gospel, not even in the Old Testament, let alone the new. There's a man in the Old Testament, his name was Job. And the Bible says there's nobody that tried harder to be spiritual, moral, faithful, follow the commands of God than Job. And yet Job has suffered more than any human being probably in the Old Testament. Well, what happened to being, you know, the transactional where if you do all the right things, then God will bless your life. No, Job is the story. And what something that God revealed to Job is... God doesn't love us based on our performance. God loves us because we're made in his image and we're his sons and daughters and he loves us by his amazing grace. Grace means unmerited favor. You cannot earn God's love. And I know that there are some of you that have, you know, somebody will lay that guilt trip upon you. And when things don't go wrong, or you don't hear an answer to prayer, or whatever, and they go, well, it's your fault. You should have been more in church, and you should have been more spiritual, and you should have done this, and because you didn't. That's why all this has happened to you, and they get mad. And they go, well, if that's the way God is, and if that's what Christianity is, I don't want it, because it's too hard, and I never am good enough. Well, I want to say to you, congratulations, you're half right. That should be rejected, but that's not Christianity. That's not God. That is not Jesus. We are saved by the amazing grace of God. When you don't deserve it, when you're not so spiritual, but in your lostness and brokenness and humility, God still loves you. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly and it is His amazing grace that by divine favor, and you go, you mean you're not going to judge me? You're not going to destroy me? You're not going to you know, take me apart? You love me even with all the mess that I am? Then I want to follow you. I want to love you. I want to obey you. I want to be close to you, and I want a relationship with my Heavenly Father. Can I hear an amen on that? So hallelujah. It's not transactional. It's by grace. And every believer needs To learn that, to be discipled in it. Number two, they need the help of a disciple who knows what it is to feel inadequate and apprehensive. So look, look at me for a moment. Every one of you hearing my voice right now that is a believer, God has someone or someones in your life that you are called to disciple. Everybody has a responsibility to disciple someone else. You don't just are not here just to exist for yourself and bless you. It might start with your own family or a spouse or your children or whoever, or extended family member, or friend, coworker, neighbor, schoolmate, whatever it is. But you need to disciple them. Now, all of us feel like, well, I'm, I'm no good, I can't do it. That's what Ananias is saying. Or who, you know, why you want me to do this? And he felt inadequate and apprehensive. And that is actually a healthy thing. Because when you realize, I'm not adequate, I don't know enough, I'm not spiritual enough, then you have to depend on the Lord in humility. And that is the greatest thing that you can share with the person that you want to disciple, is, look, I don't know really everything. I'm not perfect. I don't even know how to do this exactly. But I've known the Lord a week longer than you, so... I'm going to disciple you, love you, pray for you, bless you, and encourage you to the best of my ability. That's what Ananias did for Saul. And that's really what Saul needed. And I'll tell you this. Ananias, even though he was reluctant, he was apprehensive, how many would agree he apparently did a pretty good job? (laughs) Because he discipled the apostle Paul. Now, let's go to the next section of verses 15 through 19. There are two things new believers need to know. So uh, beginning in verse, oh, where am I here? Hang on just a second. I got to find my own place in my notes. Okay. Verse 15. It says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Okay, so when we're discipling, and if you're a disciple, if you're even a new believer, there's two things that all of us need to know. And here's the first thing. Number one, the Lord has chosen them to carry the name of Jesus everywhere they go with their words and their actions. Even if you're brand new in the Lord, as a disciple, you have been given, you have been chosen by God. Every one of you is chosen. All right, I want you to turn to your neighbor and point at them and say, you are chosen of God, my friend. He has chosen you. And he did not choose you because you earned it or because you're so spiritual or you're so smart Or you're so cute. You are chosen because God gets all of the praise and all of the glory. You are chosen by the grace of God. Now listen, God needed a man with a background like Paul. A man who could address Jews, religious Jews, Orthodox Jews, Hebrews, who could speak Hebrew or Aramaic. But he also needed a man who could equally speak the Greek language. And half of Paul's life was Hebrew, Orthodox, Jewish upbringing, and half of his education was from Greek culture, and he spoke Greek. He could think in Greek, he could write Greek, and he could preach to the Greeks. And he also needed a man who could impress kings. He was chosen. And later... Paul the Apostle realized it. He says, I had no idea that God's hand was on my life. Even from my mother's womb, I was chosen and appointed. And God used all of my life. He he realized, I didn't understand it at the time. When I had my Orthodox upbringing, the Lord's going to use this for my Jewish brethren. I didn't know when I was reading all the Greek classics, and scholars, and poems, and memorizing a lot of it. I didn't know that God was going to be using that. But look what all that God has done. He prepared me, then he arrested me, then he saved me, and then he sent me out to make disciples of others. I want you to know that everything in your life from the past, everything, God will redeem, God will use. God will take your background Uh, The good parts and the bad parts, whatever your human experience has been, and he will use it for his kingdom and for his glory. Let me say this. Many of you have gone through great hurt and great pain and great misery. In many ways, let me tell you this, in the name of Jesus, God often uses our misery from the past to be our ministry for the future. God will use you to minister to the very same people who have gone through the very same brokenness, pain, and hurts you went through, but then have been healed by the loving, gracious gift of God and minister to others. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that's the first thing, you're chosen. Number two, the Lord is chosen then to suffer for the sake of the Lord's name. Now, this is not often told believers, let alone new believers. But Jesus is saying, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles. So you're chosen and kings and the children of Israel. But then he says, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So, you know, there's no other way to say this than to say it simply and directly. You're chosen, you're an eternal son of God, daughter of God, but you will in this world temporarily go through tribulation. You will suffer, and that's part of the calling of being a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says this. Let's read it out loud together. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So suffering is part of the deal. Now here's the deal. Your cup of suffering is unique to you. You have your own cup of suffering. And nobody gets out of this planet Earth without suffering. I have my cup. It's got my name on it. And it's my suffering, and it's what I go through. In a fallen, broken world, we all get our own cup with our own name on it. But you can't judge and say, well, you didn't go through. Well, hey, look, I had my own cup. You don't want my cup. Trust me. (laughs) And frankly, I don't want yours. (laughs) But there will be a cup of suffering each one of us will drink in this life and in this world. And it's part of the process. If anyone desires to come after me, Jesus said, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Paul the apostle was told, you know, you're going to suffer many things. And the Lord began showing him some of the things he was going to suffer. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Here's a few of what he went through. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, he was beaten. In prisons more frequently, in deaths often. People dying all around him. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, minus one. So 39. They said, because if you go to 40, then you die. (laughs) So he goes, I went through that. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and left for dead, but he came back. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. 26, uh, in journeys often, in perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils of the Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and in darkness. The Lord said, you're going to suffer all of this for my name's sake. I wonder if Paul might want to raise his hand and say, wait a minute, could we talk about this before we move forward? But he went through all of that. In this world you shall have tribulation, Jesus said, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So, but suffering is part of our calling before we get into heaven. So let's close with verses 20 through 22. So after Ananias disciples Saul, and he tells him, you're chosen, you have a divine destiny, you have a calling, and equally God has a chosen calling for each one of us, you will suffer. Then in verse 20, we read, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. And then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem? And has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Yeshua, Jesus, is the Christ, or the Messiah. I love this. I want you to notice, what is is Saul preaching? Jesus Christ. He's no longer preaching religion. He's no longer preaching tradition. And when he preached, this Orthodox Jewish man who knew the scriptures but didn't believe in Jesus, now he's had a divine revelation. When Saul spoke, and he went to the synagogues, because in ancient Israel they they had a tradition that a visiting Rabbi, teacher, could come in and share the scriptures. So Saul would volunteer, go into the synagogue, group of people, and say, Hey, open your Bibles to Isaiah. Or open your scrolls to Isaiah. We're going to go to chapter 53. I'm going to tell you who this is being spoken of by Isaiah the prophet. And when they listened to him speak and then tie everything to Jesus of Nazareth, who had been known probably from Jerusalem to Damascus, When they listened to Saul, they were amazed, astonished, astounded, and shocked. Isn't this the guy who was against him? And now he's for him, and he says he has seen him. They were ready to see a guy that was burning on fire to arrest the church. And now they see a radically on fire evangelist saying Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He was radically changed. So I want to close by saying this to you. This year, 2021, watch. God is going to be arresting very powerful people like Saul of Tarsus, who have been chosen by God, and he's going to call ordinary men and women to become their disciples disciplers and friends and pour into them and it's going to radically change everything. Don't you love that God is a God of surprises? You know what I think the church was praying 2,000 years ago in prayer meetings and house meetings all is Lord you've heard of Saul he's arresting us he's killing us he's stoning us please Lord could you strike him dead The answer to their prayers were like, oh, Lord, we heard Saul of Tarsus died of a heart attack on the road to Damascus. That would have been their prayer. But how shallow and how short sighted those kind of prayers. No, God did not kill or judge Saul by bringing him to death. He radically saved him, converted him, changed him. Turned him into an apostle that would literally turn the world upside down. Because we serve a God of surprises. And we live in a time, in a surprising time, where we're going to see things, exciting things, the move of God, the sovereignty of God, the Spirit of God is going to be awesome. Amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.